Welcome to the Global Hearted Podcast, where your heart for people around the world can deepen, and where you can be empowered to better reflect Jesus and His heart for all to know Him. I'm Jason Paulson, here with Anthony Taylor for today's discussion. So, Anthony, in our last episode, we talked about viewing evangelism holistically, uh, about how we can see uh, our actions and our lives as ways that can move our friends uh, and others who are in relationship closer to Jesus, not just our words. Uh, But even when we don't take the reductionist view of evangelism as only words, uh, sooner or later, we have to talk about the good news, and we have to figure out how we share it with with our words. Um, So I'm going to give you a small, easy softball question here. Anthony, what do people need to know about the good news to follow Jesus? (laughs) That's not such a softball question. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that that is um that's clearly a hardball but let's let's unpack that what does a person need to know in order to follow jesus um you know i would say that we could answer that question in one of two ways um and the way we choose to answer is kind of shaped by the assumptions we bring with us into the discussion and you know we're not we're often not aware of the assumptions that we're bringing into this discussion. So uh, let me look at let us look at this these two ways. The first way is you need to know the right things, um, which means that you got to know specific theological content before a person can become a true follower of Jesus, and you have to agree with this content. Um, before you can follow Jesus. Um, Let me give you an example of what I mean by this. It surfaced at a retreat I attended. Um, The retreat speaker said that Muslims needed to know that that they had a sinful nature in order to turn to Jesus. Because if they didn't believe in the doctrine of the sinful nature, they would assume that they could earn their salvation by their merit. And so, you know, that's the problem. So they need to know and believe in the doctrine of uh, the sinful nature. Now, you know, his thinking was perfectly logical. If we don't see ourselves as sinners, helplessly in need of salvation, we won't realize our need for the one who can save us from our sin. If a person's sitting there going, well, I'm a good person, you know, and if that's a person's thinking, well, they're not going to realize they they need someone to save them from their sin. Um, The only problem with that line of reasoning is that seeing yourself as having a sinful nature isn't the only reason why we turn to Jesus. Um, You know, fast forward, that take that discussion and let's move forward uh, 11 years. I was sitting with a a dear friend. His name, we'll call him Anwad, it's not his real name, but Anwad was overseeing a Bible correspondence ministry. And he had grown up as a Muslim and had been following Jesus for about 16 years. And Anwad was deeply frustrated uh, because he was not seeing the interest in the gospel that he would like among 
uh, his fellow Muslims among the people that he was working with, you know, connecting with in the in the correspondence ministry, and lamenting over their lack of interest in the gospel, he, he just exasperatedly ex explained, they just don't see how sinful they are. And so I responded. I mean, I, I was taken, you know, taken aback by that statement because I knew his story. So I asked him, I said, Anwar, um, when you turned to Jesus, did you know how sinful you were? And then he stopped to, you know, he did a quick check. And he said, no, <laughs> I didn't. I didn't realize that till much later. Then I asked him, I said, well, what moved you to turn to Jesus? And he, he said that while he was taking his fourth Bible correspondence course, he came to realize that the Bible he was reading was the same Bible that the early followers of Jesus had read. And it hadn't been corrupted. And having become convinced of the integrity of the scriptures, he decided to follow Jesus. Well, wait a second. He didn't know how sinful he was. No, he didn't. But he all of a sudden he realized, wow, this Bible is true. So, um, you know, what we do and what happens, you know, when we go to seminary or we go to Bible school or we go to these seminars to learn how to share our faith, theologians and Bible teachers tend to develop nice, neat packages for what people need to believe in order to turn to Christ. And, you know, they're, they're trying to empower people to learn how to share their faith. So, of course, this stuff gets, re, you know, a bit reductionistic. Um, the, now, the packages arise from solid biblical teaching, and we all need to learn these things. But the question is, do we need to know all these things in order to turn to Jesus? The problem is that in our training, these Christian leaders talk about how important these doctrines are, and it slowly becomes commonly assumed by everyone that people need to believe these things in order to turn to Jesus. But what really happens is when you're actively engaged with people who are seeking and they're turning to Christ, when you're interacting with these people, the, the real people who are turning to Christ, you, you come to realize that people turn to Christ for a variety of reasons, with a variety of understandings. And oftentimes there are reasons for turning to Christ and their own, their understandings do not line up with these nice, neat doctrinal packages. Yet, um, once the doctrine, once these packages become common parlance, it's almost impossible for us to give our expectation, up our expectation that people need to believe these things. And it's like this guy, you know, the speaker at the retreat. They have to come to know that they have a sinful nature. So that was one example. And recently, just a few years ago, I was talking with a woman who was reaching out to her Muslim friend. And we're in a coffee shop chatting over coffee. And, and this woman said, Habiba needs to know that Jesus is the son of God. And I was stunned, you know, because 
That is commonly assumed by many, many people. A good friend of mine who has been in the ministry for over 20 years, you know, he makes sure that every Muslim he has a relationship with knows that Jesus is the Son of God. And he will spend hours trying to explain the meaning of this to them. The reason I was shocked and I kind of surprised that even my friend who's been in ministry for over 20 years doing this is, you know, this term, the son of God, is utterly repugnant and blasphemous to the average Muslim. In their eyes, it refers to Jesus being born as a result of God having sex with Mary. One Quranic verse you know, that almost every Muslim is sure to know is the Surah Al-Ikhlas, which is uh, Surah 112 in verse 3, and it says, Lam yalid wa lam yulad. And that means God does not sire, and he is not sired. And this verse is instilled in the average Muslim from the, their earliest years. I was talking to one guy, and he said there's a mosque that has like a neon sign on it. And, you know, every, <laughs> every year around the Christmas time, you know, this verse gets up on that neon sign. God does not sire, nor is he sire. And here we have a mosque. <clears throat> this is one of the verses on the side of the mosque that's in big print, you know, in a poster on the side of the mosque. So referring to Jesus as the son of God immediately conjures up repulsive images with strong negative emotions. You know, we can't seem to empathize with how Muslims feel about this because to be honest, we don't have anything that compares in our religious, mental, emotional framework. Nothing exists in our religious framework that compares to how they feel when they hear that term. So if you want to get an inkling of what a Muslim might feel about the term son of God, you know, how would we feel about naming our son Hitler? I mean, I would never want to name my son Hitler. And actually, one time, you know, we were working in this one place, and, you know, the guy that we that worked with us, he was looking at our son, and he looked at my wife and me, and he goes, oh, he reminds, you know, he's reminds me of the guy with this skinny mustache, Hitler. And she, my wife, just started to cry, you know, she moved out of that room really quick, and she just couldn't believe, she thought, how can my son appear so bad to that man that he would want to compare him to Hitler, but in that culture, you know, they had a high view of Hitler, you know, because he was a very powerful, you know, this powerful man, and they, they, they liked power. Anyway, you know, the reality is for us, though, that name is so deeply associated with negative content and is therefore so repulsive, none of us would ever consider naming our child with that name. Let's step back. So if we can get an 
a bit empathetic with how a Muslim might feel about the term son of God. What do we mean when we say they need to believe that Jesus is the son of God? And this is what I try to get people to step back and think about. When you say that, what do you actually mean by that? Do you mean that God, you know, had sex with Mary and Jesus was born that way? And immediately say, no, no, I don't believe that. But so when we unpack it, what we're really talking about is we want them to understand that Jesus was and is God. He's not just a human, but he's also God. He is one of the three members of the Trinity. So we're really not talking about the fact that Jesus is the physical son of God. We're talking about his deity. And so we're actually not, because of the association of that term in their heads and emotions, what that means, even though we may explain it over and over and over again, I found that we never, those explanations don't ever resolve the problem. Since it doesn't ever resolve the problem, you know, uh, are Muslims not going to be able to be turned to Christ? Because we're talking about the term son of God, not the fact that, you know, they may be able to, at a stage, realize, oh, Jesus is God. Oh, okay. Once they get that one, then, and that's why he's the Messiah. And maybe they, over time, they can get over the issue of the physical, you know, that physical component is really not in that term. But that's not something that is easily just explained exculpated it's like you know none of us would name our child hitler because there's just so much you know ugliness associated with that name so that name is is done in our world but step back from a moment you know as we read the gospels how do they introduce jesus they introduce jesus in these ways jesus heals people Jesus calms storms. Jesus takes care of people. Jesus feeds people. Jesus has power over the demons. And Jesus raises the dead. Jesus forgives sins. Jesus knows us by our name and dearly loves us. Now, this is what I would think people need to know about Jesus first. And so why don't we introduce Jesus in this way? Because isn't this the kind of person that almost anyone would want to know? <laughs> I mean, I, you know, we read the Gospels, and this is just pulsating through the Gospels, and yet for some reason we focus in on the term Son of God. They need to know this. I'm going, wait a second. In the course of time, yes, but what do they need to know in order to want to get to know Jesus and to, and to learn about him? Well, it's this stuff that he heals people, he calms storms, he takes care of people, he knows us by name. But what we don't realize is that it isn't just the term son of God that causes problems for Muslims. 
You know, biblical terms with sexual illusions are also problematic. Now, I was part of a team reviewing the translation of the household codes in Ephesians chapter 5 in the local language. And as we were talking about Jesus being the bridegroom and the church being the bride, the local translator who had grown up Muslim and yet had become a dedicated follower of Jesus, as we're talking about Jesus being the bridegroom and the church being the bride, you know, which is Ephesians 5. He began trembling and he just groaned out loud, exasperatedly. And we paused. You know, we were kind of freaked out by it. We asked what was troubling him. And he went on to say that even though he had been a believer for some time, and even though he had been involved in translating these terms, the metaphor of Jesus as the bridegroom and the church as his bride was really difficult for him to accept. The sexual connotation embedded within the metaphor was deeply troubling to him. And he had to exert a significant amount of effort to control his thoughts and emotions when discussions of these kinds around these kinds of metaphors arose you know and i sat there and, and i i thought i have never once had a problem with that or any other biblical metaphor none of them implied a sexual relationship to me in fact you know i when i was an early believer i read the song of songs and i read um Watchman Nee's interpretation of that, which had nothing to do with a sexual romance. It was all an illusion of, of God and God and his people and Christ and his church. And I never ever had a problem with it. But I don't swim in the emotionally laden cognitive waters of my Muslim friends. And so I'm not sensitive. I'm, I wouldn't say just me. I would say all of us. We're just not sensitive to the impact these terms have on them. You know, and technically, this is a social linguistic aspect of the language. And I found that whenever I raise this issue with my colleagues, I'm typically, typically told that Muslims should just quickly understand what is meant by these terms and what is not meant and just get over it. So I realize, you know, I came to realize the problem isn't my Muslim friends. The problem is ours. We lack empathy. I have to say that fortunately, Jesus is not like us. Jesus didn't require Anwar to know how much a sinner he was in order for Jesus to accept Anwar. Jesus gladly accepted Anwar as his own, and he poured out his Holy Spirit on Anwar and brought Anwar into the body of Christ because Jesus knew that Anwar would eventually come to understand the rich teachings of the scripture as Anwar followed him. And as I think about it, Jesus did the exact same with me. So it isn't knowing that knowing the right things isn't as important 
as we think it has to be. So if that's not the case, then the question is, well, what do we need to know? And maybe that should be the next podcast. One of the things that I thought about while you were talking, uh, so I work in an engineering related field. And one of the things that we, we do is we have products that you can pick out the parts that you need for the application that you have, because there's places where you want to use a part that is plastic. And there's other places where that plastic doesn't make sense. You want to use, you want to use metal. And one of the things that we have to do is talk to our customers and understand what, what their need is, where they're coming from, what they expect. And then we can, we can help get them the, the pieces, the, the parts that they need. And in a similar way, like talking about Jesus is talking to people, understanding where, where they are, understanding what they are expecting, what they are thinking about, and then figuring out the, the way to explain Jesus to them that meets them at their needs that meets their expectations and doesn't expect, oh, one size will always fit all or what I, what drew me to Jesus and the questions that I had are the questions that you, who I am, who I'm speaking to have, that if we have that uh, humility and empathy, we can, we can draw many more people to Jesus than just saying, Here's the package. You have to deal with it now. Yeah, it's again, it's having empathy, it's having understanding, and it's, and again, it's realizing, you know, they maybe they don't need to know A, B, and C in order to follow Jesus, or maybe it's D, E, and F. They just need to know A, B, and C. And, um, you know, they don't need to know the whole alphabet. <laughs> yeah. So, it's, I, you know, it's just, I, but we don't necessarily think about it because we don't, previously we said, well, you know, certain people have more expertise in other areas. Well, this is, yes, people do have more expertise. And those of us who have worked a lot with Muslims, and you know, put dedicate our lives to doing that. We realize that you know people's stories are different, and they don't all need to know the same things in order to follow Jesus, but they do need to know something. Thanks for joining us on the Global Hearted Podcast. If you have more questions about how you can find ways to follow Jesus around the globe, or if you have questions you would like to hear Anthony answer, email us at anthony.taylor at globalhearted.com or to hear more episodes go to globalhearted.com and now receive a good word therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit teaching them to obey everything i have commanded you and remember i am with you always to the end of the age